Good morning. My wife and I have a lot of history in this place. We've been coming here since 1981. And this was our sending church when we moved to Camp Good News to serve as missionaries there for the last 20 years. So we are here for the summer, but not every Sunday over here. Because I'll tell you that in a second. But Don and I have been involved with uh, Child Evangelism Fellowship and Camp Good News for over 40 years. And uh, CEF, or Child Evangelism Fellowship, was incorporated in 1946. And the reason I'm giving you these details is I know there's some people here that I'm not too familiar with. So, Camp Good News started in 1970. And I got saved at 24 years old in 1980. So if you're a pretty good mathematician, you know, you, you'd probably figure these things out. But my wife got saved a year after I did. But from 1982 to 2002, we volunteered at Camp Good News. And many of you here, I see faces for sure, that have come to Camp Good News and volunteered also. And my wife, when she went there, she was a uh, counselor, I think it was the first year. She was a senior counselor once. <laughs> once. And she found out that that was not where God had gifted her. And she was head cook for, since we went there to volunteer. I went there, we'd go together, and I was the uh, senior counselor with a whole bunch of kids who were just like me growing up. And so nothing took me by surprise. We had a blast. It was great, but we saw a lot of needy children. And the needs have not changed. The needs have not changed. I worked at uh, Fraser Paper for 29 years. And then the Lord, that's when the Lord called us to go to Camp Good News. And so we've been there for the past 20 years. But in 2003, when we moved there, I became the program director because it was only summer camping. And they wanted a year-round program. So as a program director, I, I developed a program along with the other staff. And we served there. And when John Romano, who was the camp director, moved on, transferred where he's serving... I became the camp director, and then Jerry Saeed became the program director. That's just in a nutshell. There's a lot of stuff that happened in 20 years. But Donna was no longer in charge of the kitchen because she had double duty. She was the office manager plus the kitchen. And then last three, four years, this young lady, Sarah Brown, she was in charge of the kitchen. So Donna was actively just... I say just, a lot of stuff going on in the office. But she trained a young man, John Dowdy, because as of last month, my wife is officially retired. So she's, she's enjoying it. Isn't that awesome? She gets to be with me all the time. <laughs> but this, this past January, this past January, I passed the torch as camp director to Jeremy Brown. And he is the one that is in charge of the camp right now. So what am I doing? Retired. Huh? Retired. Retire. I am not retired. I'm like a, an old recap. You know those old, when you, you don't have any more treads on your tire, and they slap a, a piece of rubber on there, and you're good for another 30,000 miles? Well, that's me. I'm just a recap. But presently, I'm functioning in the role as a representative of Camp Good News and CEF. I'm going to churches throughout Maine this summer, from Allagash to Holton, 
bringing awareness of what we can do to partner together and what we can do to help the church, what we can do to reach children and teens and their families with our Lord Jesus Christ, letting them know that we have training and we have, uh, whether, whether it's, it's, it's a missions uh, weekend or week, missions conferences, but I'm building a donor base of prayer warriors. That's what we're doing. And a donor base of people who want to give to Camp Good News and CEF while partnering with the church. And there's a lot of churches in Maine that have no idea what Camp Good News or CEF is. No idea. In Maine. So it's, it's pretty amazing. There are 207 countries in our world. And Child Evangelism Fellowship is in 206 of them. With an active work, not just making a paper airplane, throwing a track and running. With an active work, some of it's underground, and the only one left is North Korea so far. And there's a group ready to go in if the Lord ever opens that door. But there's a young lady, Mackenzie Bagley. She's a CEF, a northern Maine worker, and she's also available for if you need training. If you need, She can't do it all. But she has the resources to point you in that direction. So, but the goal is to have people serving in their local church. We're not coming here to recruit everybody to come to Camp Good News or CEF. We want to glean from those who are already serving in the local church. And every individual ought to be serving in their local church. It's that simple. But we also want children to be there. And we have the privilege and the opportunity to... Take children who have nowhere to go because Camp Good News is their church once a year. So we can filter them into a Bible-believing church so that they can grow in the nurture and admonition of the Lord that those principles and precepts that we hold so dear to our heart and our life, they can actually run and walk with those things too. But with the goal of reaching children and families, co-laboring together with the local church, let me tell you, it takes a lot of commitment. It takes a lot of people. It takes a lot of lives. But you know what? It's going to be worth it all when we see Jesus. It's going to be worth it all. So Don and I are so thankful for your faithfulness throughout these years. You've been with us since we have been, since God commissioned us. The church sent us. This is our sending church. You have prayed for us. You have given to us so we can be there, support in prayer and finances, and we don't take it for granted. What a blessing. What a blessing. Co-laboring together. And you know what? We'll never see all the fruits of the labor, but that fruit is added to your account because we're co-laboring together for the glory of God. So my focus this summer is from Allagash to uh, Holton, Maine. And there's not enough me to go around, by the way. Not enough. There's a lot of people. But if every individual in the local church would be reaching out to one person, we could make a difference. Because the Great Commission has never changed. The Great Commission has not changed. Going into all the world and telling every creature is not just for the pastor or the elder or the deacons. It's for every blood-bought believer who claims the name of our Savior. So every believer is just a regular Joe who wants to tell everybody about somebody who can save anybody. Not an awesome thing. Huh? But that great commission is there. And the fields are white unto the harvest. In, in John chapter 4, our Lord said to his disciples, don't say there's still four months. And then comes the harvest. He says, look out there. He says, the harvest is ripe. It's ready. 
People are ready. But somebody has to go. But the need is the same in our Lord Jesus Christ's day as it is today. We need laborers. We do. As we invest in the souls of children and teens and parents and staff, we can stand in the gap and make a difference in one life. One life. If you go to the post office, now we don't use post office, but the post office, there's still a picture of Uncle Sam. And he's pointing the finger. And he says, Uncle Sam wants you. Well, make believe it's the Lord. The Lord, he has given that commission to us. So we look forward to seeing what God is going to do in our new, I say adventure, in life. And right now there's a whole bunch of kids that are going to be arriving right after lunch at Camp Good News. Second week of camp. Are the staff tired? Oh, they're going to be tired if they're not now. But you know what? It's not their week of camp. Camp is for the camper. So with that as a uh, springboard introduction, short in a nutshell, let's look to the Lord in prayer. Our Father and our God, we love you and we praise you for who you are. We do ask, Lord, that your word has free course in our life this morning. Speak to my heart, speak to every individual here. And that we might leave this place, Lord, being blessed from your word and knowing that you are not finished with us yet. Use us to bring glory and honor to your name. And we ask it in our Lord Jesus' name. Amen. If you want to turn to Psalm 61 with me. You know, the last time I was here, that clock wasn't in the back. So maybe that's why they put it there. It's, It's to remind me. (laughs) Okay. How many of you, don't raise your hand, have ever been overwhelmed with life? Overwhelmed with what's coming down the pike? Did you ever come to a place in life that you did not want to hear any encouragement or advice from an individual that you know would tell you what you needed to hear? I'll raise both hands. I'll raise both hands. It just seems that there's, life just brings stuff to you. If it's not one thing, it's another. You just, you can't, you don't even have time to get over one thing and then another thing comes. Job realized that. Because in Job chapter 1, Job was a man that God had said, he's a righteous man. He says, you can do what, he told the devil himself, you can do whatever you want to him. Just don't take his life. God sets the parameters in our life. God knows what we can take. I'm going to use this as a a door, but they probably didn't have a door. But one of the servants, one of Job's servants in in, in Job chapter 1, knocked on the door and says, All your servants have been killed, and all your donkeys have been stolen, and I'm the only one that escaped. And it says that he didn't even have time to comprehend what, what was going on. And another knock on the door came. And it says, all your sheep and all your servants are dead. They've all been killed. And it doesn't even have time to comprehend all of that. It's just coming. And then another knock on the door. All your camels have been taken. Every single one of them. They've all been taken. Man, what are we going to do? The epitome of it was when Job had that final knock. And it said right here, he said, all. Your children were in your eldest son's house. And a strong wind came. 
and they're all dead. Every one of them. I'm the only one that escaped. It's like, wow. And you know what we read? We read that Job, at that point, worshipped God. He worshipped God. I bet you Job knew what it was like to feel overwhelmed. I bet you he did. But, I, I, but we, we had a pastor's retreat last March at Camp Good News. And there were many pastors there that expressed being overwhelmed. That their congregation was overwhelmed. Overwhelmed with life. Overwhelmed with stuff coming down the pike. This summer, we're going to have over 300 volunteer staff members at Camp Good News. 300 volunteer staff. That's a lot of, that's a lot of staff. And over 700 children just this summer, not including the winter. And many children and teens are dealing with a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff. And when you sit with them and you invest in their lives and they open up to you, we're held accountable for the advice that we give them. Because they're getting advice, ungodly advice, all over the place. But some of those teenagers and some of those children have to deal with stuff on a larger scale than you and I have ever had to dealt with. And we've never had to dealt with some of those things. Whether it's the physical, the mental, the psychiatric. Some of them that come to camp don't even know what gender they are. And we say, what on earth is going on? Nobody has taken them and told them in Psalm 139 that they are fearfully and wonderfully made. That there are more thoughts that went into making them than all of the sand in the seashore. They were designed by a master designer. They're not a mistake. I mean, some doctors, the doctors now are being told, you cannot tell the parents when you deliver a baby what gender that little baby is because that little baby is not old enough to make a decision of what he wants to be. Or she wants to be. It's awful. It's awful. But I can't good news. We want kids to have fun. We want them to have fun. Man, it's not boot camp. You're not training for the military. We want them to have fun. We ask God to do three things in their life and we want them to be safe. That's why we have background checks and we go over above and beyond. We want them to be safe. And we ask God to do a great work in their heart. And many children will come to know the Lord as their Savior from sin. Some will dedicate their whole life and say, I want to go wherever you want me to go. And if those three things are happening in the life of a camper, if those three things are happening in the life of a church, it doesn't matter how my day is going. Because life's not about me. Life's not about you. If you have that perspective. And Philippians tells us, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in everything, everything, in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Can you imagine if you'd put everybody first? Man, the psalmist in Psalm 61, I'm sure he was overwhelmed. You and I have the finish. We know the end from the, you know, we know the results. Our Lord Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Everyone will say amen to that. You know, those that are saved, amen. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The promises in his word ought to sustain us and help us to stay above water when the tough times come. We have access to the throne of grace. The throne of grace in the heavenlies. 
And who's sitting there? Who's at the right hand? Our Lord Jesus, he's making intercession for us. And we go there not just on behalf of us. Oftentimes I go to the Lord in prayer and it's got everything to do with me. I have my gimme list. You know? We ought to be going there with a heart of thanksgiving, thanking God for what he has done, what he is going to do, and what he continues to do and how faithful he is. But we bring our petitions to him and we bring our petitions on behalf of others. When the pressures of life are hard, and they are, and you're thinking about pressing the exit button, and you say, well, Christians don't do that. Oh, they do. They do. But we have an advocate with the Father. We do. One who stands there with us. He's seated at the right hand. And you know what? He knows our frame. He knows what I can handle. He knows what you can handle. I can't handle what Pastor Jack can. And the list goes on. But he knows. I mean, created a master designer. Everything you need. Last summer, I was asked to do three graveside services. Same family. The day after camp ended. One was a mom. The mom had... uh, had not got the care that she would have needed in time at the hospital. She died. The husband couldn't deal with it. A few months later, he took his life. Their granddaughter, I don't know if it was the pressures of everything, but she miscarried, and she was quite alone. So at that graveside service, three urns. Talk about people who were overwhelmed. Same family. But why are we there for each other? Because that's what we do. That's why we stand in the gap for those who don't know the Lord as their Savior from sin. That's what we do. Why do we go the extra mile? Why do we care for the souls of boys and girls? Why do we have day camps? Is it because we've got nothing to do? No. Why do we have Sunday school classes? And why do we... It's because we want to reach children and teens for our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we care for souls of boys and girls and, 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 and teenagers and moms and dads. That's why we minister to our communities and our co-workers and our friends and to our families and our church family. Church families aren't hurting, right? No. We have a good, we put our Sunday mask on and everything is fine if we would take our Sunday mask off and be open yes church families are hurting that's why we're there for each other why do we visit the sick why do we visit those that are shut in why do we go to nursing homes or hospitals because we know that life is not about us you and I are ambassadors for our Lord Jesus Christ we are his representatives to a lost and dying world. And the brevity of life is upon us. If you don't think life is going by fast, look in the mirror. You know? Look at the, Compare it to your class picture. But the brevity of life is upon us. Do you think our Lord was overwhelmed? In Matthew 26, he said, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. 
And he told his disciples, he told Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, he said, tarry with me over here. Before he went to the cross in the garden of Gethsemane, he prayed, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. It was not possible. He had to go to the cross. God the Father told no to his son. But he said, your will be done. It was not possible. He had to go to the cross. Because there's no other way that mankind could be saved. But the disciples fell asleep twice. Think of that. And he prayed that prayer three times. Three times. The night before, his disciples are sleeping. And he's agonizing, overwhelmed. But he saw the joy that was set before him. He saw past the cross. He saw that. But you know what? He wasn't alone. He was with his father. He was with the Lord. His father. You and I have those resources available to us. We do. When you read in Philippians, be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Sometimes I forget that little, with thanksgiving. And it says, the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and mind through our Lord Jesus Christ. Psalm uh, 61, David right here, he's the author of this psalm. He says, hear my cry, O God, attend unto my prayer. This could have come from a time when he was running from King Saul, or maybe running from his own son, Absalom, who was trying to kill him. I, I don't know. But I believe it's the time that King Saul's army was after him. And he was hiding in the mountains of the Judean wilderness, southwest or southeast of Jerusalem. He was hiding. Did you ever play hide and seek? Uh, did you ever play hide and seek? And, and, then, and then you think you're great, you're hidden, and all of a sudden you can see the one that are coming to seek you, and you're probably thinking, if I can see them, they probably can see me. You know? All kinds of stuff goes through your mind. Well, you know what? You and I might not be harassed by a king who's trying to take your life. But I am sure there are times in life that you can remember, maybe right now, of being overwhelmed. Overwhelmed. And David says, hear my cry, O God, attend unto my prayer. He begins by calling on God and pleading, pleading. Hear my cry, listen to my prayer. You know that plea is a common plea in the Psalms? It's a common plea in our life too, isn't it? You cry out to God, and sometimes you even wonder, does he even hear me? It seems that the prayers only go up to here. Why? Because I'm not getting the answer I want. But God, in his mercy will give me the answer I need. It might not be what I want, and it might not be right away. But sometimes we feel that we're far, far from God. And we know that in God's promises, that is not true. Because God is immutable, which means He does not change. He's omniscient. He knows everything. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere. But nevertheless, there are times in our life that we feel like we're all alone. In verse 2 he says, From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee when my heart is overwhelmed. 
when my heart is overwhelmed. It seems like there's a prayer of desperation that's going on here. From the end of the earth, is there anywhere that we can hide that God cannot hear us? Of course not. If he can hear Jonah in the belly of a fish, he can hear you and I when we call out to him. But David seems utterly overwhelmed, over his head, struggling to stay afloat, nowhere to go, no refuge available. Ever been there? There are children in your neighborhood in Madawaska that feel that same way. There are teenagers. Why do I say in Madawaska? Because they're no different than anywhere else. There are children that come to camp from great Christian homes. We love it. They get to be in a cabin, and some of the kids are not as uh, well-behaved as they are. And then they're thankful for their home when they come back. They're thankful for, for God's goodness. They see things. David here, he describes his desperation. And then something changes. He says, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. The image over here that, that is seen is like David can see the enemy coming. And he's hiding. And he figures, wow, if I can see them, they probably can see me. I got to go higher. I got to hide somewhere else. Get a little bit deeper in the cleft of that rock. But of course, the rock that David is talking about is our Lord Jesus Christ himself. Many, many times in the Bible, Yahweh is mentioned as a massive rock. And the rock symbolizes power. It symbolizes unchanging stability, limitless might. He is my rock, the rock eternal, the rock of Israel, the rock of refuge. And there are so many others. Remember our Lord when he was talking to Peter in Matthew chapter 16? He says, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail. He's not saying that he's going to build his church on Peter, because the word Peter is P-E-T-R-O-S, which means a small stone, a piece of a larger rock. And he says, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock, speaking of himself, P-E-T-R-A, this massive boulder, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail. And Ephesians chapter, uh, I think it's 2, our Lord Jesus is the chief cornerstone. Chief cornerstone. He is my defense. He's my strong tower. Verse 3. For thou hast been a shelter for me. Now he's thinking of the past. You know when the going gets rough. We've got something that we can hang on to. Was, has God ever been good to you in the past? If you say no, I want to speak to you after. I do. Because if you're saved, you can always go to the cross. That's where we get our strength. My defense is my strong tower. The image of God here points as our rock. Our rock. But he's thinking of the past. Thou has been a shelter, a refuge, and a strong tower from the enemy. Has been. Past tense. You know how many people have no past? They're just living, going through the motions, They don't have the Lord as their rock. And you and I have the answer. When's the last time you shared that with somebody? 
You know, there's people out there that are hungry and they don't know what they're hungry for. They have a void in their life. And that void is our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. And you and I are supposed to have beautiful feet. Feet that go out and spread the gospel. David says you are my strong tower. In Bible times, cities used to have a tower, a massive tower in the middle of the city, or a tower built on a wall to keep the enemy at bay. But David in this psalm, he begins with tears, he's pleading, and he ends with a song of praise. A song of praise. David's whole countenance is changing when he thinks on the faithfulness of God. <coughs> I'm going to ask Dan, my brother Dan, he's had all kinds of farm animals, and I think that's the first place I learned where cows chew the cud. You know, they graze on that fresh grass, and then when their bellies are full, they lay down and they just bring it back up. And then they chew on it again. And again, and again, chewing the cud. You and I ought to do that. Not with the grass, though. On the faithfulness of God. Because if you don't, you're going to get an Eeyore mentality. Oh, it's raining. It's been raining for five days. But the sun's going to come out tomorrow. But we're going to get a sunburn. Eeyore, never, never positive, never not our Lord. I mean, we've got something that we can chew the cut on, the faithfulness of God. Verses 1 to 3. He called upon God because God had protected him. He knew God. He knew God had protected him. It's Verse 4 says, I will hide in thy tabernacle. I will trust in uh, the, the covert of thy wings. Have you ever seen a chicken with little chicks? The other morning, I look outside, well, maybe two weeks ago, I look outside, and there's a uh, mother goose, had to be a mother goose. Mothers take care of their little ones. Dads protect them, they fight them off, but whatever. There was seven or eight little goslings, just little things, they can't fly, but when they saw my face, they ran. And then, and then all of a sudden, where are they? Mama grew a little bit. She had them all under her wings. She was protecting him. And it says in verse 4, I will trust in the covert of thy wings, of thy wings. How precious is your loving kindness. Psalm 36, 7, it says, And the children of men take their refuge in the shadow of thy wings. How many people don't know the Lord as their Savior from sin? They have no place to go. Look at verse 5. Thou hast... For thou, O God, hast heard my vows. Thou hast given me the heritage of those that fear thy name. Thou hast heard my vows. You've heard my promises. And you have given me what belongs to you. Let me honor you with this. Have you ever made a promise to someone and not kept it? If I ask your wife, I might say yes. Or vice versa. But sometimes we make a promise. And well intentions, we want to keep that promise. And then life goes on. And Have you ever made a promise to God and not kept it? Lord, I will serve you. When you got saved, you made a promise to God, by the way. You did. 
Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It's the least we can do. Lord, I'm going to follow you with my whole heart. Yeah, we're going to follow. Help me up. Help me to keep going. Keep on keeping on. Lord, if you save, I'm asking you, and fill in the blanks. If you do this, then I will serve you with my whole life. You don't barter with God. You don't barter with God. You don't barter with God. You know, verse 4 and 5 says he will call upon God because God had provided for him. He remembers the past. He remembers that. Verse 6 says, I will prolong the king's life in his years as many generations. Add many years to that king's life. Are you asking God to add many years to your life so that you can bring glory to him? Because I know a lot of people who retire. When they retire, they retire from everything. They retire from going to church. They Just at the time that they ought to be teaching the young men. You know? They retire. Hey, I'm off. You're not off. Might be off your rocker, but you're not off. You know? You, you, you don't retire. You don't retire. He shall abide before God forever. Oh, prepare mercy and truth which may preserve him. Mercy and truth. That's a message in itself. We'd be here till next week. Mercy and truth. So I will sing praises unto your name forever that I may daily perform my vows. I will sing praises forever. I will offer you daily what I have promised you. God doesn't need you and I for his purposes. He chooses. He, I, what a blessing. You know, people who have lived with the Lord a long time, longer than me, by the way, a long time, know that life is full of sorrows. They know that there are times that it seems that there's nobody to lean on. Nobody to lean on for comfort or understanding. There are some people who spend most of their lives alone. Others are surrounded by unsympathizing family members because of the stand they take or they took when they got saved. Some have an unbelieving spouse. Some are resented at work. But all the promises that our Lord gave us in his word, all of it, you know, they, they, they hate you because they first hated me. Those are things that we, we ought to hold dear to our heart when we're serving the Lord. And others simply have grown old. And all their friends and their relatives have gone on. And now they're sitting in nursing homes. And they think nobody cares. Because nobody's visiting. Nobody's going to see them. Whatever the cause is, they think that they have no human being that cares for them. Let's not forget who we serve. And who we have to give an account to. Because there's coming a day when time shall be no more. No more. Whether we're alive and we hear the trump of God and the dead in Christ will rise first and we which are alive will be with him to meet him in the air and so we shall be forever with him. Forever. That could be today. That, could be, that would be awesome. 
That could be today. Encourage someone with those promises. Encourage somebody in your circle of friends. Encourage somebody in your circle of enemies if you have them. Because we were enemies of God. And God gave his son for us. You and I have no guarantee that tomorrow is going to come for us. And if God has brought somebody to your mind this morning, act upon it. Because in two days it will be gone. It will be gone. You and I need to keep our eyes on our Lord Jesus Christ. Is the world getting any better? No. Check the news. There's nothing good. This It's all negative. But you know what? Remember Isaiah? In Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah, he saw the Lord high and lifted up. High and lifted up on his throne. He saw him in all his majesty. Seraphims flying around. And I mean, singing holy, holy, holy. And when Isaiah got to see that, he didn't see God in person, that's for sure. Everything about him, because no man can see God and live. But he saw him in all his splendor. And one of the seraphims had a hot coal. And he was heading for Isaiah. And it was for this reason. Because Isaiah saw himself as God saw him. As a man of unclean lips. Unclean lips. You know, every man, woman, and child born falls into that category. They need the gospel. Our Lord Jesus died for them, and he died for a certain kind of person. In Luke 19.10, it says, The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. If you're here today and you're not saved, your name is lost. But you know the amazing thing is? That's the kind of person that God is seeking. That's the kind of person the Lord Jesus died for. And when Isaiah saw himself before God, and he says, I am a man of unclean lips. He was going on behalf of the whole. But he saw himself. I am a man of unclean lips. And that coal was put right on his lips. And, and he said, as it touched my mouth, he said, Lo, thy iniquity is taken away and thy sin is purged. What a picture of the gospel. Thy sins have been forgiven. Wow. But you know the, 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 the next verse, he says, I heard the voice of the Lord. Isaiah says, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? He's asking Isaiah, Whom shall I send? And Isaiah says, Here am I, Lord, send Jack. <laughs> That's not what he said. He said, Here am I, Lord, send me. I'm so glad that I didn't hear that there was a, uh, a need for a Sunday school teacher because the last two, three times there was a need for a Sunday school teacher. There should be no needs for any positions in any church. Why? Here am I, Lord, send me. You and I have been gifted. Gifted. At least one gift. At least one. Lord, help me use that gift for your honor and glory. Make me a channel of blessing for someone today. You know, in John... John, uh, I think it's John chapter 6. The little guy, well, I better, it is John chapter 6. I put a marker. John chapter 6. It says that uh, the Passover feast of the Jews was nigh. It was right there. And the, the Lord lifted up his eyes and he saw a great company of, of, of men. Man, we got to give him some food. We 
got to give what, what, what? We need some money. We need something to buy food. And the Lord says he knew exactly what he's going to do. He, exactly what he's going to do. And, and Philip said, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient that everybody would have a little piece. There's not enough. There's not enough money to buy food. 5,000 men. Women, children. Andrew. He's a fisherman. Big fisherman. Probably as big as Pastor Dick here. You know? Fisherman. Strong, sturdy. Andrew says, there's a little lad here. I saw him. He had a lunch. Five barley loaves and two fish. Just a poor man's lunch. Well, there's a little boy there that tells me that there's a mom that cared for that little boy. She prepared a lunch for him. There's no name given to the little boy. It could have been, you know, I like to say it's a little lad, a little boy. It could have been a little girl, but it wasn't. It was a little lad here. But you can apply that to a little girl. And Jesus says, make the men sit down. Obviously, the little boy gave him a lunch. Do you think that uh, Andrew, the big fisherman, went to see that little lad, grabbed him, threw him on the ground, put him in a full Nelson, and said, give me your lunch? Probably not. He didn't play rock, paper, scissors, and won. He probably asked him, the master has need of your lunch. Isn't that awesome? He gave him his whole lunch. The whole thing. Did the Lord need that little lad's lunch to feed those people? No. The one who hung the world on nothing can feed. But why? He wants to use us. So that little lad gave him his whole lunch. He didn't even need half the lunch. He didn't need any lunch. But you know what that tells me? That there's a lot of people in local churches that think their lunch is too small. God can't use me here. God, can't, God can use somebody else. My lunch is too small. No. You'll be amazed at what God can do when you give him your whole lunch. The whole thing. But you know what? That's for the believer. For the unbeliever. For the one who's not saved. The only thing that the Lord wants. He's already paid for your sin at the cross. And he says, come unto me, Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There's a lot of people who are laboring in their sin. And our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life, says, come unto me, and I will give you rest. Isn't that awesome? You don't clean up your act, then come to God, because you'll never clean up your act. You come to God and let him do the cleaning. It'll last. We serve an awesome God. We serve an awesome God. If there's somebody here that's never trusted the Lord as their Savior from sin, they can do it right in their seat. They can do it. Grab me by the ankle. Grab, Pastor, grab somebody by the ankle and say, I want to settle this right now. I want to be saved. And that's the kind of person that the Lord is looking for. When you recognize yourself, when you see yourself as God sees you, lost without a shepherd. What a savior. He knows all about you and he loves you. Isn't that awesome? That's, that's amazing. So, but for the believer, give him your whole lunch. Give him all. And I know it's hard. I, I do. It's like when you're praying for someone and you're bringing your petitions to the Lord in prayer. And you're casting all your cares on him. Lord, 
deal with this I can't. And then when you're done in prayer, you grab it all back because you need to worry too. You know? But that's what we do. Oh, cast all your cares upon him. There's a verse that says, the Lord does not slumber nor does he sleep. So why should both of us stay awake? Lord, give me rest for my soul. Give, use me for your honor and glory this week. Make me a channel of blessing for one individual. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you, Lord, that your word is full of encouragement. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, who has died on Calvary's cross. And Father, that if there's one individual within the sound of my voice who is not sure where they would spend eternity, that they would call to you, for there's no salvation given among men other than the Lord Jesus Christ, where they might be saved. So Lord, we just ask that you would continue to speak to their heart and that they would settle this today. Today is that day of salvation. And for those that are here, Lord, and say, where do I fit in all of this? There's a place in the body because every one of us has been given a gift. Lord, help me to utilize that gift. Talk to someone. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.